Good morning. Good morning, Debbie. Okay, if you would, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be finishing chapter 3 today, and then uh, when we get started again, and we start into, uh, we'll actually start into the tough stuff. Uh, come chapter four, because what we what we what we see in the first three chapters is Paul gives us this this beautiful picture of everything God has done for us uh, in Christ Jesus, and then in verses or in chapters four, five, and six, we see the outward working of that and how we are to respond to that and what our lives are to look like in that aspect. So, um, I was. Uh, the, the gospel, this one we just did, the nine marks, w- was incredible. Would, would you guys all agree? Was that really good? It was really good, and uh, I, I was kind of convicted. I was just thinking about stuff as I, as I think through stuff, and, and um, we, we got a lot of years in here of people that have been Christians, a lot of years, and um, I just have a pop quiz for you. <laughs> and the pop quiz is, do you love and cherish the gospel more now than you did when you were first saved? Because I know with me, I can get accustomed to the gospel and it loses that little bit of the edge that it had when I was first saved. Oh yeah, Jesus died for my sin. Oh yeah, he resurrected. But as we get older and we grow more in our faith, that should be even more exciting to us. And so I challenge you, if you are anything like me, to renew your heart with God in the gospel and uh, as it's preached and proclaimed that you would do this. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into this last section of chapter 3. Father, thank you again for our time that we can look into your word and that we can see what you have for us. Lord, pray that we would uh, be children of you that, Father, pray this prayer for each other. Lord, this, this powerful, passionate prayer that, that, that Paul has for us, Lord, that we would uh, try to even, in this life we have, search the depths of actually what he tells us. So, Father, please send your spirit, Lord, to open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to receive your word fully and to see your grace in it. And Lord, as we come to communion, I'd also pray, Lord, that you would deal with our hearts, that if we have any unrepentant sin, that we would be repentant before we come to you, Lord, that we would see this broken body and this spilled blood for us, Lord, and that we would rejoice and we would remember Christ for who he is and what he has done for us. Lord, thank you that we have such a splendid, majestic, marvelous Savior. In your name, amen. Now, in my own life, I find myself trying to live the Christian life on my own terms and in my own strength. And most of the time, I fail to live it in my own strength. And this prayer that Paul prays is a a, a prayer for power. It's a prayer for, for all of us to be praying for not only each other, but for 
for other churches, for other believers. And so let's, let's look at uh, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 as we look at this prayer. And then we dig into this to see what Paul says. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. We saw Paul's first prayer in chapter 1, right? Paul prays in this first prayer in chapter 1. Now we see this second prayer that Paul is going to pray. But this time Paul starts out this one. He says, I bow my knees. He bows his knees before the Father of, 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 uh, of every family in heaven and on earth is named. So he's bowing his knees. Now this bow is to bend the knee. That's what it means. It means to bend the knee. The Hebrew word, it means to kneel down. It's often associated with the meaning of respect and honor. It, it's, it's a passion that drives them to their knees. This is what Paul is getting through. Paul is just, this is a passionate prayer that, that Paul is praying, and it's, it's bringing him to his knees. Listen to what uh, uh, 1 Kings 8.54 says. Now, as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plead to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he knelt with his hands outstretched towards heaven. Ezra 9.5, And at the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting with my garments and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And Daniel, in chapter 6, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this was a sign that nobody could pray to another person except to to, uh, Darius, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So these were men, this uh, Ezra and Daniel and, and Solomon, who, who bent the knee. They bowed the knee to God in their prayers, but out of reverence and out of honor. And this is what Paul is saying. He's, he's bowing his knees out of reverence and honor to who God is and how great God is. And he's going to bring this supplication and this request to God is what he's going to do on his knees. Now, I want us to understand, when Paul says that he bows a knee, and we read these about uh, uh, Daniel and Ezra, that they are not talking about positional prayer. It's not talking about positional prayer. As Martin said earlier, when they gather for the, for the prayer time, they're all sitting. Right? They're, 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 they're sitting. When Abraham pleaded with God for Sodom and Gomorrah, he was standing. Right? David, when he enters, the, when he enters the, the, the temple, the holy place, he, he sits before the Lord. 
And even Jesus in the garden, he falls on his face prostrate. So what Paul is not teaching, he's not teaching a, uh, a positional prayer, but what he's teaching is a heart condition towards a holy, righteous, loving, gracious God. And he bows his knees to him. Now, what does he bow the knee to? Look at the prayer. Let's look at this prayer. The prayer is, first of all, for strength. The prayer is for strength. Listen to Ephesians 3.16, right? That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being. Now, this word strengthened means, it just means to grow strong, to grow strong in his word, to grow strong in his likeness, to grow strong in holiness, right? We're, We're to be strengthened, right? And it's according to his riches, It's according to his riches. Now, we saw this one time before in Ephesians already in chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. This according to his riches. It's according to his wealth. It's out of the abundance of his wealth. It's um, It's not this little bit that he gives us. It's according to his riches that he gives us, that Paul is pleading for this prayer, according to his riches. Now, he wants us to be strengthened, right? Now, what's the agent of this strengthening power? Look again at verse 16. Look again at verse 16. It says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. This is the agent. This is how the power is going to come. It's going to come through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who we're sealed with in chapter 1. Right? We're sealed with him in chapter 1. Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah puts it this way. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what a great application in Sunday school, that when we begin to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim Christ's death, it's the pow- that that power comes from the Holy Spirit. He is the one empowering us to do this. It's not out of our own strength or out of our own power. It's the Spirit that empowers us. It's the Spirit that gives us words. How many times have you shared the gospel with somebody and then you walk away and you're like, oh, wow, that was not me. Because it's Him that powers us. It's the strengthening that comes from the Holy Spirit to be these witnesses. The Holy Spirit came upon these apostles and they went and they proclaimed the good news of the gospel. Romans 15, 13, Paul says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is where we get this power. The agent of the strengthening of us is the Holy Spirit. He is the the agent. Now, who's the recipient? Look again at verse 17. I believe it's 17 or 16. 16 again, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. This is the recipient. It's the inner being. It's the inner being. Now, this inner being 
is the, uh, the inner being is the, the spiritual frame. It's our spiritual frame. It's the spiritual man. This is what he's praying for strengthening, that the spiritual man will be strengthened. The spiritual person will be strengthened. He says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. He's talking about us dying, right? As we get older and we get older and our body starts to fail us and things don't work like they should and every time we get out of bed we hear something new crackle. You know, when we get that, and that's perishing. But look what he says. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. When we're in the word, when we're in prayer, when the Holy Spirit is strengthening that inner person, that is what is getting stronger every day, every day, with the results of, of verse 17 of chapter 3, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That is the result. The result of the strengthening of this inner man is that Christ would dwell in our hearts. He would dwell in our hearts through this faith. This dwelling is inhabit or indwell or take up residency. That Christ would live in our hearts. He would live in that inner man. That we would become more Christ-like. John 14, the apostle says it this way. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, there's a driving force there as we verge on conversion next week. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. So he's talking about this inner man, this dwelling of this inner man. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And again, the Apostle John in 1 John 4.16, he says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides, there's that word, abide takes up residency in love, abides takes up residency in God, and God abides in him. This is the inner man. This is Christ dwelling within us. This is the Holy Spirit strengthening us in the inner man that Christ may dwell in us. And when he dwells in us, the prayer continues secondly for this, for a prayer for love. This love is an amazing love. It's the agape love. It's the devoted love. It's the committed love. Look at Ephesians 3, 17 and 8 through 19. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow! Pray that next Sunday. Here. Pray that prayer. Let's, let's look at it. Let's take it apart now. Rooted and grounded in love. Now, rooted, he's talking agriculture, 
right? This is what he's talking about. He's giving us uh, agriculture talk. It's being, it's being that, that root that, that goes down deep. It's a, a firmly fixed. It's firmly fixed in the ground. That's what he's talking about, this rooted. And this grounded, this grounded is a, 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 it's a, a building term. It's an architecture uh, term. And it means uh, 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 to lay a foundation, to ground, to establish, to render firm and unwavering. Firmly fixed and rendered firm and unwavering. This is what he's saying, that you would be firmly fixed in the love of Christ. That you would be grounded in the love of Christ, unwavering in the love of Christ. He says it this way in Matthew. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24 and 25, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That rock, that rock is Jesus, brothers and sisters. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. It was firmly established. It was rooted and it was grounded. Luke puts it this way in Luke 6.48. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the Apostle Paul is praying for the Ephesians believers and for, and for others, for other Christians, is that we would be rooted and grounded. So it doesn't matter what storm in your life comes crashing into you, you do not move and you are unwavered in the love of Christ. That's what he's praying. And then he goes in and he tells us this, this infiniteness of Christ's love. He tries to put dimensions on it. That's the crazy thing. He tries to put dimensions on it. Verse 18, he says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, right? Uh, this strength, again, is, is to be strong, to be fully, fully able. This comprehend is to, to understand and, and to perceive and to, to lay hold of. This love of Christ, it, it cannot be contained. If, if we take this building... Right? If, if, if we, we, we take the building just as our, as our uh, visual effect here, right? The, the, the height and the depth and the breadth, Jesus' love, it can't be contained. It's just not this high. It's not this long. It's not this wide. It's not this deep. It's uncontainable. And that's what he's praying. He's praying that we would, with all the saints, with each other, that we would be able to, to lay hold of that. To lay hold of the infiniteness, if that's such a word, of Christ's love for us. For his bride. It is deep. It is a deep, deep love. Psalms 103.11 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And in John fifteen thirteen, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The depth of the love for Christ that Christ has for his bride is he dies for his bride. He dies for his church to cleanse us, to wash us. We'll find that out in Ephesians chapter 5, to present us holy and blameless before the Father. This is the depths of his love. So then, in Galatians 
Paul brings it into a personal level. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus goes to the cross because he loves each and every one of his children. And he goes and he takes the wrath of the Father for each and every one of his children. This is the depths of his love. Therefore, we can see this, that Jesus' love, this height, it's a love wide enough to embrace the world, John 3, 16. It's a love long enough to last forever, 1 Corinthians 13, 8. It's a love high enough to take sinners to heaven, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. It's a love deep enough to take Christ to the very depths to reach the lowest of sinners, Philippians 2, 8. What a magnificent love that we will never, ever be able to comprehend or contain in this life, in this life, but in the life to come, much different. And that's where this next part comes in, this prayer for fullness, for fullness. It's a prayer of strength in the inner being. It's a, it's a prayer of love that we would comprehend what the, what the depths of Christ's love is, and it's a prayer for fullness, that we would be filled to the fullness of who God is. Look at Ephesians 3.19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now this filled, it, I mean, these words are simple. They're to make full, to fill up, to complete. It's a... Uh, it's an entire content. It's a, a, an abundance. But it's, it's, it's being filled with who, who Christ is, with who God is. Now, here's the crazy thing. It's the, it's the, the, the infinite filling the finite. And that can never happen. We, 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 we can never be filled with the fullness of God at one point in time. But Jesus could be. Jesus could be filled with all the deity of God, with all the fullness of God, because Jesus was fully God, right? Listen to Colossians 1.19. For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And again in Colossians 2.9 and 10, he says, For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So we got to have a picture here, right? We, we got to have a picture here. If we stood at the ocean, if we stood at the, the, the Pacific Ocean, and we were on the beach, and we had a, uh, a, a jar, just like a little pint jar is what, what we had. And, and what we want to do is we want to fill that jar up. We reach down, and we put it in there, and we fill it up to its fullest, right? But we took nothing from the ocean, did we not? Right? And that's the same thing. God fills us up and we take nothing from him because it's his fullness. That ocean is his fullness. This is the picture. But here's the best thing. The best thing about this picture is is that the more we grow and the more we learn and the more we see Christ for how splendid and how majestic and how glorifying he is, and the more we see the preciousness of the gospel, well, that jar gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and guess what? It gets fuller, 
and it gets fuller and it gets fuller. And there's going to be one time when we get to heaven, when the Lord takes us home, and that's what it's going to be like in heaven. We're still not going to be able to contain the fullness of God because God is still infinite, but we will have waves and waves of his grace that crash upon us and crash upon us of his beauty and of his majesty. And we'll be continually being filled with his glory when we are in heaven. But Paul prays that prayer for us now to be filled with the fullness of who Jesus is. This should be what we pray for each other, brothers and sisters. The the, the fullness of who Christ is. This prayer was a passionate prayer for Paul. He was brought down to his knees and we see it in his worship. We see it in his worship. He has confident worship, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's, Paul's prayer becomes worship. He prays this prayer, this this. Uh, I don't even have a word of of this prayer because it's just so magnificent. But then he comes in and he says, he prays this prayer. Why? Because he knows that the prayer that it's going out to, the God, that he is able to do more abundantly than what he even prayed for. That's how powerful our God is. Brothers and sisters, we have a big God. Pray big prayers. Don't pray little prayers. Pray big prayers because he is a big God. Do this. He is able. Paul is sitting there saying he has no doubt whatsoever. He is absolutely positive that God is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to that power of the Spirit that works within us. This is what he is able to do. Jeremiah says this in 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arms. Nothing is too hard for you. But we don't pray that way, do we? We pray that, oh, maybe God just can't do this. No, God can do anything. There is nothing too hard for him to do. Pray Big prayers, brothers and sisters. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is Jesus. He's the one that brings our prayers to God. What kind of prayers you want to bring to him? We bring these prayers. Strengthen us in our inner being. Show us the the, the infiniteness of Christ's love. Do this. Fill us, God, with your fullness. These are big, bold prayers. They're beyond measure. They're abundant. He's abundant. He's He's able to do anything. 1 Timothy 1.14 And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1.11 For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
These are abundant. He's able to do all these things abundantly. So brothers and sisters, as we close this, this is where we are to be. We are to pray these big prayers. We are to pray these prayers for each other. May this prayer be the prayer that we pray for each other and at Faith Bible, but also the prayer we pray for the church worldwide. May we, just like Paul, be driven to our knees and comprehend the love of Christ for us all. Let's pray, and then we'll take communion. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this prayer. Lord, help us to understand the depths of your prayer. These are your words. Lord, if we want to pray your will, let us pray your words, not ours. Lord, this is your will for your people. So, Lord, I pray that you would do this for Faith Bible. Strengthen Faith Bible, Lord, in the inner man. Show us the depths of Christ's love and fill us to the fullness of who you are, that we would be a church body that glorifies you in everything that we say and do. We love you, Lord. We thank you in your name. Amen. So now as we come to the communion table, like I said, please, check your heart. Check your heart. See if you're repentant. You know, confess your sin. Take a few minutes as we pass out the elements. And remember, when we come to the table, we come to remember Christ. We come to remember who he is. The broken body for our sin. The spilt blood for our sin. But let us not forget that he came out of the grave. He came out of the grave showing that God's wrath has been satisfied that God's wrath has been appeased for the one who comes to him to trust Jesus for what he has done. So as the elders come forward, may you take some time and get your heart right before the Lord.